right. I have the report, the diagnosis. I know the specific type of dyslexia my child has, and I understand how it affects them. Now it's time to make some educational decisions. I'm Jenny Sherson, ex-special educator turned dyslexia interventionist. It wasn't so long ago that I too was overwhelmed by balanced literacy versus structured literacy, education speak, and everything in between. Fast forward after many, many hours of self-driven education, and you'll see I've built a thriving dyslexia practice helping students from age six to 18. My specialties, working with a quote-unquote difficult, almost always to be, student, and breaking down the complexities of dyslexia into everyday language strategies and action steps. Okay, during this episode, we're going to make some small leaps and assumptions. The first assumption I'm going to make is I'm going to assume the school has accepted both your request to begin the evaluation identification process and your private or sometimes referred to as an outside evaluation. Remember, a school only has to take into consideration an outside evaluation. They do not have to accept it. Even if they do accept the outside evaluation, they're still going to want to collect their own data. Informal and classroom assessments, classroom observations, student work, you get the idea. An IEP can't be given or denied on a single piece of data. All the data has to be evaluated and considered. If you're still not sure what an evaluation should include, we'll link our evaluation checklist in the show notes below. So go ahead and go check those out. Okay, we're going to make another assumption here that yes, everyone in the room agrees your child has dyslexia. Now, a school might not say dyslexia directly. They may say, yes, we can identify your child as having a specific learning disability in reading, SLD in reading. SLD is the umbrella term for all the dyses, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia. Okay, so it is there. Now that the IEP team is in agreement, the next step is for the team to start making educational decisions. The results from the evaluation should always drive these decisions. The first decision that needs to be made is, does your child qualify for a 504 or an IEP? A 504 provides your child with accommodations. An IEP provides your child with accommodations and special education services. To qualify for an IEP, two requirements must be met. One, your child must have a disability and show a need for services. In other words, just because they have dyslexia does not automatically qualify them for services. Two, it has to be shown that in order for your child to find success in the general education classroom, they require services. They can't access the curriculum without these services. All right, another assumption and leap here. The team agrees your child is eligible for an IEP. Now, we again have to go back to the results from the evaluation to determine your child's goals and services. For example, if your child showed a weakness in phonemic awareness, 
nonsense or real word decoding and fluency, the team is going to want to discuss reading services and goals related to those services. If the results show your child had a weakness in receptive or expressive language skills, then the team is going to want to discuss the possibility of speech and language services and related goals. And these discussions are carried on for each area of weakness, whether they be in the academic, social, or behavioral areas. I will caution you, more goals do not make for a stronger IEP. Goals are supposed to be written to guide the team and provide them with a focus and blueprint for meaningful progress over a one-year period. I have seen IEPs with 10 or more goals. Nobody, child or adult, can make meaningful, focused progress on that many goals in one year. Pick the areas that have the greatest need and focus on those first. Sometimes, when you focus on the greater needs, the smaller ones sort themselves out. And remember, IEPs are living documents and can always be amended down the road. You don't have to wait a calendar year to revisit your child's IEP services, goals, or placement. Now, I want to take a step back and return to the conversation regarding reading and writing services. During this part of the conversation, you may feel like the rest of the team is talking in circles around you. They may talk about reading levels, balanced literacy approaches, OG-based programs, pull-in or pull-out services, and small group or one-on-one. You may have gone in ready to demand one-on-one Orton-Gillingham instruction, and there is a wide divide between what they are offering and what you want. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's see if I can break it down a bit. Schools will rarely put in an IEP or specific curriculum or program. Once a particular program is documented in IEP, they're required to provide it. And if your child moves from one school or another, there's no guarantee that other school has that program or someone who is qualified to offer that program. So they like to go a little more general in the approach that they're going to take when they put it into the documentation of the IEP. However, you do have a right to know the approach they're going to use. Is it a balanced literacy approach or an Orton-Gillingham structured literacy approach? You also have a right to know who's providing the services and their qualifications. It should also be noted where the services will take place and how often they occur. Will the provider push into the classroom or will your child be pulled out of the classroom for a set amount of time? For example, the team may decide the provider will pull your child out of the classroom for 30 minutes, three times a week. Those are your service hours. Also, rolled up in this whole conversation is a lot of misunderstanding about the term or name Orton-Gillingham. Right now, Orton-Gillingham is a catchphrase and it gets thrown around a lot. Orton-Gillingham is an instructional approach. It is not a set curriculum or program. That said, there are some curriculums that are based on the Orton-Gillingham approach. The two most commonly known and respected are Wilson and Barton. Some of the red flags you should be on the lookout for during this conversation are terms like balanced literacy, 
digital instruction, where the quote-unquote instruction is provided by a digital program. The instructor is not certified in this area or program, but has taken the basic or classroom training. You're looking for a more individualized versus group approach here. Or the instruction will be given by an aide and overseen by an instructor. If you're already at the point of setting up an IEP and services for your child, they need an individualized, structured approach to their instruction. Remember, you do not need to sign or approve anything at the initial meeting. You can adjourn the meeting and set a new day and time to continue the conversation. There is a lot that is discussed in this meeting and is not only overwhelming, but exhausting. You have the right to sit with the information and process it all before you sign off on the finalized version of the IEP. Hopefully, you now have a better understanding of how your child's evaluation guides the setup of their IEP and the educational decisions you make for them. Now, what happens if the school doesn't provide the type of services you believe they need, or they provide the services but not to the fidelity or intensity your child requires in order to make that meaningful progress? Now, you need to start looking for outside services. In our next episode, we'll take a look at outside services and ways to find an appropriate outside service provider. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Literacy Untangled. If you loved this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to continue the conversation or share your takeaways, head on over to our Instagram at Literacy Untangled and comment on your favorite part. I can't wait to hang out with you again soon. Bye.